0: السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد الا لا الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرة. اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallaita ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka Hamidum Majid Allahumma barik ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka Hamidum Majid Respect to listeners last week we began the hadith of Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha from Sahih al-Bukhari in which she relates the tragic tale of her being subjected to a calumny and an allegation. It's a very long hadith and we began reading it and Last week, so we'll continue with that The hadith is from Sahih al-Bukhari In which Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha says And Aisha radiallahu anha it, it is related from Aisha radiallahu anha That she said كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أراد أن يخرج سفر When the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم Would intend to go out on a journey أَقْرَعَ بين أَزْوَاجِهِ He would draw lots between his wives. فَأَيَّتُهُنَّ خَرَجَ سَهْمُهَا خَرَجَ بِهَا مَعَهَا So whoever of them, whoever of the wives, her share would emerge. He would depart on the journey with her. فَأَقْرَعَ بَيْنَا فِي غَزَاتٍ غَزَاهَا So he drew lots between us, in a military campaign, which he launched, فخرج Sahmi, so my share or my lot, emerged. معه, <coughs> معه بعد ما انزل الحجاب so I went out with him after hijab had been revealed. فأنا احمل wa وانزل فيه so I would be carried. Or lifted up in a howdah and wa unzalufi, and I would be brought down in a howdah. Fasirna hatta izah faragar Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam min ghuzbatihi tilk. So we travelled or we marched until when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had become free of this campaign qafal, and he returned. Wadanauna min al-Madina and we drew close to Medina. This is what we covered last week, and that's just a translation of the actual text of the hadith, all of which I've explained in detail last week. And just simply to recap, the Prophet in the fifth year of Hijrah in the month of Shaban, at the beginning of the month of Sha'ban, he launched a military campaign against a tribe called the Banu Mustaliq and he traveled with approximately 700 companions radiyallahu anhum and as with other journeys he decided to take members of his own household but he didn't want to take all of them so he drew lots and Aisha's name emerged. So he took her with him. And according to some narrations, there was also Umm Salamah, another wife, with him. But most narrations say that it was only Aisha. He marched towards the southwest of Medina to confront the Banu al-Mustaliq And this was actually a preemptive campaign. Because he had received reports of, uh, verified reports of Banu Mustaliq having made preparations for the past two years, and these preparations were now coming to a climax. Preparations for a concerted attack on the city of Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ decided to launch this preemptive strike, and he marched against them. He eventually met them at a well known as the Well of Muraisiyah. And there, in a very swift and short battle, with minimum casualties, just one on the side of the Muslims and a number on the side of the enemy, the battle ended. Many of them were taken captive. On that journey, the Prophet also married anha, who was a daughter of the leader. Of Banu Mustaliq, that campaign is known as Ghazwat banu Mustaliq, the campaign of Banu Mustaliq, because of the tribe, and it's also known as the campaign of Mureesir, because that was the name of the well and the exact location where the fighting actually took place. So both refer to the same campaign in the month of Sha'ban in the fifth year of Hijrah. When this campaign ended, Prophet ﷺ started making his way back to the city of Medina. In total, he remained away from Medina for approximately 28 days. He left on two days after the month began, and he arrived just before the the crescent was actually sighted for the month of Ramadan in the fifth year of Hijrah. That's a summary so far. I also explained that Many events actually took place on this journey. It was a very momentous and eventful journey. And one of the... Apart from the marriage to (laughs) Juwayriya, apart from the actual fighting and the skirmish, apart from the emancipation of all the captives, which I explained in detail, another major incident was the involvement of the hypocrites. And this is what I said a promise that I would discuss this week. On this journey, the Prophet sallallahu was also accompanied by a band of munafiqun, the hypocrites. A bit of a history about the hypocrites. In Mecca, when the Prophet sallallahu announced and proclaimed his message, he was alone, and the first to believe in him were members of his own household and his immediate family. Umm Muminin mumineen Khadijah radiallahu anha, Ali radiallahu anha, Zayr ibn Harithah his at that time adopted son. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu but even before Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an, it was Umm Muminin mumineen Khadijah anha. And... Initially, the message spread very slowly, but surely. At that time, it was a great risk to embrace (coughs) Islam. There was no need for hypocrisy. In fact, it was the other way around. Most of the Muslims at that time, owing to their weakness and their few numbers, and because of the pressure, immense pressure from their families, had to actually conceal their Islam in the beginning. So at that time, there, was only, there were only two groups, more or less, the Muslims and the non-Muslims, the pagans. However, when the Prophet ﷺ arrived in Medina, now the Muslims, unlike their situation in Mecca, were no longer a disparate group. They were no longer individuals, or simply a collection of individuals. When the Prophet ﷺ did hijrah, at that time, approximately 80 to 100 Sahaba عنهم, did hijrah with him from Mecca, not more. And slowly the numbers grew in the city of Medina. Eventually, the tribes of Ous and Khazraj, many of the clans embraced Islam. And Islam became a majority religion in the city of Medina. When the Prophet ﷺ first arrived in Medina, not everybody embraced Islam immediately, but they did in great numbers. However, now, as I mentioned last week, one of the reasons for the Prophet ﷺ coming to the city of Medina, which was called Yathrib, was that he was actually invited by the Arabs because they had a history. ...of warring and battling with each other, tribal warfare. This was interne- internecine warfare in which it was a war of attrition. Both sides were simply wearing each other down. And this led to great strife and disunity in the, in the oasis of Yathrib... ...which later came to be known as Medina. They needed someone who would be a unifying force... Someone who could unite the clans and the tribes. There were, there were five main tribes in Medina. There were also other smaller clans and smaller sub-tribes. But the five most powerful tribes were two Arab tribes and three Jewish tribes. And the two Arab tribes were Aus and Khazraj. Ultimately, these were t- the families of two brothers. Going back generations, they were actually from two brothers. But over time they came to be identified as two completely separate tribes which were at loggerheads with each other. And a whole generation of Arabs in the oasis of Yathrib had grown up knowing nothing but war since this battle between them had continued for so long. And Allah actually references that in the Holy Quran when he says, وَعْتَصِمُوا اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا وَلَا تَفَرَّقُواً وَذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ كُنْتُمْ أَعْدَاء فَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِكُمْ فَأَصْبَحْكُمْ بِنِعْمَتِهِ إِخْوَانًا وَكُنْتُمْ عَلَى شَفَى حُفْرَةٍ مِنَ النَّارِ فَانْقَذَكُمْ مِنْهَا Where Allah says, And hold together to the rope of Allah, steadfast, all together collectively, and do not differ amongst yourselves. And remember Allah's favor and blessing on you. When you were enemies of each other, Then Allah united your hearts. And thus through him you came to be brothers. When before you were on the precipice, the edge of a pit of the fire. So imagine the the rivalry, the hatred, the bitterness and the state of war. The fear and the tension and the enmity between them. That Allah in the Quran describes their situation as being on the edge of a pit of the fire. They were on the brink. It was only through Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam as a means and through Allah's gift and blessing and His favour that Allah pulled them all back from the brink of self destruction and united their hearts. So they needed someone. And they felt that that person was the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, And that's why even before the hijrah, a delegation of the Arabs went out to him. And they requested him to come to the city of Medina and serve as their leader, as a unifying force, as someone who could unite their hearts. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa accepted. And this was some of the background to his emigration and hijrah to Medina. So when the Prophet ﷺ arrived, and slowly people began embracing Islam, but in large numbers, upon his arrival, he was accepted as a leader. And even though some of the people did not share his religion, he was recognized as being the judicial, legislative, legal, political, and military Ruler of Medina. All of the tribes accepted him. So because of the situation, a number of the Arabs, if not in the first year, if not in the second year, then at least after the Battle of Badr, especially after the Battle of Badr, they embraced Islam. Before the Battle of Badr, some of them were still waiting. They openly declared their disbelief and made it known that they were at odds with the Muslims. But in the Battle of Badr, which was the first decisive battle between the Muslims and the forces of the Quraysh, in fact, between the Muslims and any military power, despite being outnumbered by more than three to one, despite lacking weapons and armour and military equipment, despite not having any precedent of battle or warfare amongst the Muslims in, in that unified manner. The Muslims scored a decisive victory over the pagans of Mecca. As a result, their prestige was immediately enhanced and the, this did strike terror in the hearts of many. And now those Arabs... As well as others in Medina who felt that they could no longer openly oppose the Muslims. Many of them decided that things are looking in favor of the Muslims. So let's join them ostensibly. They never became Muslim, but they declared their Islam. There was a number of them. And now hypocrisy became a force in itself. Unlike in Mecca where there were Muslims and non-Muslims, in Medina... You had the Muslims, you had the non-Muslims, and you had this group of the Munafiqun, who supposedly were Muslim, yet and lived, acted, and spoke like Muslims, even coming to the masjid and offering funeral offering prayers in the masjid. Despite all of this, at heart they were disbelievers, and they spared no effort in harming the Muslims from within. And the Qur'an condemns them to a great degree. In fact, in the beginning of the Qur'an, Allah speaks of the believers in two, three short verses. Allah then speaks of the non-Muslims in two, three short verses. Then Allah devotes an entire lengthy section to the condemnation of the munafiqun. That's because at least the first two groups are honest. They are open. But this group is devious, mischievous. They attempt to play games, not only with the creation, but even with the creator. Allah says, That they attempt to deceive Allah, whereas it is Allah who is keeping them in error. So this was a new force of hypocrisy and the hypocrites. And one of the, their greatest leader was Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, And he wasn't made a leader by election amongst the hypocrites. They wouldn't dare to do that, but he became the de facto leader because he was already one of the leaders before the arrival of the Prophet. ﷺ. He was actually an Arab, one of the leaders of Khazraj. There were two main tribes, and Khazraj. He was one of the leaders of the Khazraj. He was a politician, a wily politician. As a result of which, prior to the coming of Rasulullah, More or less, the two tribes of Aus and Khazraj had agreed to make him the leader of Medina. And they were actually preparing a crown for him. And jewelry that he would adorn himself with in order to mark his position as a leader. So he was ambitious and he was about to realize his ambitions of becoming the King and the ruler and leader of Medina. When all of a sudden the Prophet ﷺ arrived and he was robbed of his ambitions. The crown was clutched from his hands. That's what he felt. So, apart from being a disbeliever at heart, apart from refusing to embrace Islam sincerely, Apart from being a hypocrite, he also, for ideological and political reasons, he also had a very personal enmity and hatred towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa because he felt that on a personal level, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa had snatched the crown and the leadership from him for he was about to become a ruler of Medina. And he was very rude on a personal level. So much so that, as I said, not in the first year, maybe not in the second year, before the Battle of Madhya. His own part of his story was that before I said that, in the first and the second year, not everybody embraced. Some people held back and reserved judgment. They were watching the situation, observing to see which way the scales of the, uh, which way the pounds of the scale would (coughs) incline. So on one occasion, he was seated amongst his people, and like I said, he was a very—he was undoubtedly very talented. He was a politician, well-spoken, smooth, slick. He was handsome, tall, an alluring, soothing, seductive voice. And Allah actually references that again in the Quran in Surah al Munafiqoon, wa idha rai'tuhum wa in That when you see them, their bodies will amaze you and impress you. And when they speak, you will listen to them attentively. That's Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn as handsome, alluring, charming, eloquent, slick and smooth, a real politician. And he had that charm, so once he was seated with his cronies... In his gathering, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa rode past on a donkey. This was before the Battle of Badr. He rode past on a donkey. <coughs> so, because it was dusty ground, the hooves of the donkey threw up dust. So, Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salool, rather arrogantly and very contentiously and dismissively, he threw his cloak over his nose and openly said to the Prophet sallallahu "Do not throw up dust on us." And what the Prophet sallallahu did? So he said, "Do not throw up dust on us." And then the Prophet sallallahu spoke to them, giving them da'wah, inviting them to Islam. So again, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul spoke up and said, "O oh Muhammad, all that you have to say is very good, but..." Do not come to us to preach If anyone is interested in your religion They will come to you And you can preach to them But do not come out to us and preach to us Then again he held his nose and said The stench of your donkey Is offensive to me So one of the sahaba spoke up and said The donkey of the messenger of Allah Smells better than you (laughs) And there was an uproar, and though the supporters of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul stood up and they began quarreling amongst themselves, and the Prophet calmed everybody down. But this was before the Battle of Badr. When after the Battle of Badr, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, he was a leader, so people followed him and listened to him. I'd like to mention this because peeps. In this way, you will understand why people f- chose to follow him, especially in the Battle of Uhud. So, after the Battle of Badr, Abdullah—he obviously didn't participate. Abdullah Ibn Sallul said, "It looks like the affair of Muhammad has settled, and he is on the rise. So, let us embrace." So he ostensibly and apparently embraced Islam. With his embracing, many of his followers, people who were taken in by him, they embraced as well. So they actually embraced, not because they wanted to, but simply because of Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salu. Then, barely a year later, well, a year later, after the battle of Uhud, uh, Badr, but barely a year later, after his embracing Islam, when the Quraysh marched on Medina In the third year of Hijrah The Prophet Sallallahu Convened a council of war And he sought opinions from all the different factions of Medina As to what to do Because remember It was a nation state There were Muslims There were non-Muslims There were pagan Arabs There were Jews But Despite being of differing faiths, they lived in the city and they had drawn up an agreement that they would defend the city collectively. It was their city. So the Prophet ﷺ sought the opinion of different factions as to what to do, how best to defend the city. Should they go out of the city and face them in open battle or should they remain in the city and defend it from within? Prophet ﷺ himself was inclined, and he actually made known his preference, of remaining in the city. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, for his own reasons, loudly and very vociferously persisted and promoted the same opinion, that let's remain in the city, let's not go out to fight them. What he wanted to achieve, Allah knows best. However, many of the other companions were very passionate, and many of them had missed the opportunity of participating in the Battle of Badr a year earlier. So they were most eager in pressing on the Prophet ﷺ that we should go out and <coughs> fight them openly. Eventually the Prophet ﷺ accepted their opinion and donned his armour and said that we will go out. So going out of Medina meant to because that was out of Medina. <coughs> the next morning, when they marched towards the plains at the foot of the Mount of Uhud, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Saluh, remember, being a leader of the tribe of Khazraj, being extremely powerful and influential, he was now a Muslim, apparently. And many of his tribesmen were his followers, people of his clan. So they marched with him. Just before arriving, Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul at the last minute, he turned around and he said, these were his words, that Muhammad, he listened to others and decided to go out of the city and face him in open battle. And he refused to take my opinion of remaining within the city. Why should we go out and kill ourselves in this manner? So he said, let us retreat to our homes. So Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul retreated. And 300 people of his clan and tribe went along with him. So immediately the army, the Muslim army, was reduced from 1,000 to 700. Again, this is just a bit of background to show how gradually Abdullah ibn Abi ibn Salul and the hypocrites continued to cause problems for the Muslims. And right at the last moment, even in the campaign of the trench, which was two months after this particular expedition, Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul again secretly liaised with the treacherous tribe in Medina of Banu Qurayza. And he spoke to them of betraying the Muslims and giving them up from behind their backs. So he left no opportunity unturned. Now, he marched with the Prophet ﷺ on this expedition also. Abdullah ibn Why? For a number of reasons. One, <clears throat> they knew that this was going to be a swift victory for the Muslims. They knew that. A force of 700, larger than the Battle of Badr. And they would be marching, they would have stealth, speed, on their side. The Banu Mustaliq, they assumed, would be unprepared for them. It was a mobile force, only of fighters, whereas they would be attacking the Banu Mustaliq, who would be in their camps. So for all these reasons, they assumed that there would be victory for the Muslims. So in the hope of gathering wealth and booty, they decided to join them on this campaign, which they regarded as being a raid. And not only that, but again, they felt, if we can cause problems for the Muslims, why not? So for a number of reasons, they marched with the Prophet on this occasion also. Another thing, although Allah's Messenger and a few of the others could see the hypocrisy of these individuals. Not everybody could. Many of them still saw Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul as a Muslim who was one of the tribal leaders. So they respected him, looked up to him. So Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul and his cronies and other hypocrites joined the Muslims on this expedition. On the way back, after the Battle of Muraysi, it was over, on the way back, they were camped. At another well. When they were camped at that well. One of the muhajirun. One of the emigrants. Came to the well. In order to get water. And. Remember. Resources were scarce. So. Often there was competition. Even amongst those who knew each other. To see who could get there first. So one of the Muhajirun arrived at this well, and one of the Ansar of Medina also arrived at this well. Both believers. And as is human nature, they had their animals with them, both of these companions. And there was a bit of a competition and rivalry for the water. And in that misunderstanding between them, there was an exchange of words and a quarrel erupted. In which the Muhajir kicked the Ansari, one of them kicked the other. So the Ansari companion shouted out, Ya Al Ansar, that, Hail hey, O Ansar, I call out to the Ansar. And the Muhajir then shouted out, Ya Al Muhajireen, I call out to the Muhajireen, Hail hey, Muhajireen. So it was a call from both. The Ansari companion of Medina called out for the Ansar to assist him. The Muhajir, who obviously all lived in Medina but originally was an emigrant, he called out to the Muhajir, Muhajirun, to assist him. Some people did come. And when the Prophet was informed of this quarrel, and when he heard this commotion, nothing actually happened further, there was no fighting, nothing happened further. But when there was commotion and calls were being made, oh there's Ansari who's calling, there's a muhajir who's calling. When the Prophet wasallam heard this, he said, what is this? What is this call of jahiliyyah? So he was told that, O oh, Prophet of Allah, an Ansari and a muhajir companion both quarreled at the well. And it resulted in one of them hitting the other. So both are calling out to their factions and their tribesmen to assist each other. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Da'uha Abandon this call of jahiliya for it stinks. What did he mean by this call of jahiliya? The Arabs, their bond was tribal. That's how they identified with each other. Their protection was tribal. They owed their loyalty to their clan and their tribe. That's what they felt. To the extent that they felt duty bound and honor bound to defend and to assist and support their fellow tribesmen regardless of whether they were wrong or right. And this is why I've explained before that the hadith, Unsur akhaqa ظaliman kana aw Hadith of Malik radiallahu related and Muslim and others that assist your brother whether he is an oppressor or whether he's the oppressed. So the Sahaba radiallahu said, Rasulullah, the oppressed we can understand, but how do we assist the oppressor? So the Prophet sallallahu said, By staying his hand, by preventing him from perpetrating his oppression. Now I explained then as well that this this phrase, Unsur kana o Some of the Arabs used this phrase before. But what they actually meant by it is that you should support your tribesman. Regardless of whether he's in the right or wrong. So if your tribesman, if your fellow tribesman is a zalim, assist him in zulm. If he is madhulm, then assist him because he is madlum. So they felt that we should assist, regardless of whether they were right or wrong. The Prophet wasallam turned that phrase on its head and reminded the believers that with the coming of Islam, right is right, wrong is wrong. You assist the right, you assist the dhalim and the mudrum, the oppressor and the oppressed. But not in their oppression, rather, you assist the oppressed because that is the right thing to do. And you assist the oppressor by preventing him from his oppression, because that is the right thing to do. And this should not be understood in terms of the days of ignorance, which is that you assist your brother, i.e. your tribesman, regardless of whether he's right or wrong. So the Prophet ﷺ on this occasion also announced that abandon this call of jahiliyyah, that just because of a minor quarrel or misunderstanding, each person calls out to his clan and his tribe, and the members of the tribe feel duty-bound and honor-bound to assist their fellow tribesmen, regardless of whether he is in the right or wrong. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Abandon it, for it is a stench, it stinks. The situation was diffused, things became calm. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul was seated with his cronies in his tent. On that same occasion. So as word spread through the camp, he was a leader. He had his henchmen and his cronies around him. So, but remember, not all of them. Some of them were sincere Muslims. So a group of the Khazraj were seated together. Abdullah ibn Uba ibn Salul, when he heard of this commotion, he also inquired, "That what's this?" So he was told that oh, a muhajir and an ansari had a quarrel at the well, and the muhajir hit the ansari, and they're all calling each other now. The muhajirin are calling one another to assist against the ansar and vice versa, ansari and vice versa. So Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Sadr said. Is that what's happened? Have they really done that? He says, I tell you, I have been telling you for a long time now, that these muhajirun are a problem. I've told you that we have been too kind to them. We have taken them in. They came to us as refugees, penniless, destitute, homeless. We gave them shelter, we gave them protection, we gave them wealth. We fed them. We even distributed our wealth and gave it to some of them. Because many of the Ansar did that. And he said, look at what they are doing now. I tell you, they are dependent on us. We should not spend on them. And don't spend on them. Withhold your money. Withhold your wealth and your donations. And do not give to them. Soon, when you stop spending on them, they will disperse and disappear. And I tell you, I do not find any example to describe our relationship with these muhajirun, other than what the early Arabs have said. And then he quoted an Arabic maxim, afraid of saying, سَمِّنْ قَلْبَكْ Fatten your dog, so that one day it will devour you. That we feed the dog, only for it to grow, and one day devour us. So that's what we've done with these Ansar. With these Muhajirun, they are like dogs that we have fed, and one day they outgrow us and will devour us. And that's what they are doing now. I tell you, stop spending on them, soon they will disappear, disperse and disappear, and you watch. When I return to Medina, I, the most honoured, will drive away the most despicable and the lowly one, Ai Muhammad. Zayd ibn Arqam, who was a young companion, he was a young lad, he was present, this was his first expedition, he was seated there, because he was from the tribe of Khazraj. So as soon as he heard this, he stood up, and he went straight to the Prophet First he went to Sa'd ibn Ubadah, عنه, who was the leader of the tribe of Khazraj, the overall leader. And he told him what... Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul had said. So Sa'ad ibn Ubada went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and told him. Then he summoned Zayd ibn Arqam radiyallahu an. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he questioned him. It was a gathering of people with the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So when he related this to him, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent Ali radiyallahu an to Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul. And said to him, and inquired, Abdullah ibn ubay ibn Salul flatly denied everything. And went to the extent of saying that he then came to the Prophet and actually said, the Zayd ibn Arqam is a liar. There were others who were also confused because they felt Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul is a noble leader. Like I said, some people still believe that he was a sincere Muslim that he's a noble leader, he's eloquent, he's polished. He would never say such a thing. So some of them said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, it's quite possible that Zayd ibn Arqam is a young lad. He may have misunderstood. So eventually the Prophet ﷺ left the matter at that. But he accepted Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul's explanation. But he didn't accept Ultimately, what Zayd ibn Arqam, the young lad, had to say, and in the presence of others, he was called a liar. Zayd ibn Arqam says, رضي anhu that I went away, and I retreated to my tent, and I began weeping. And I spent the whole night in pain and in anguish, as only one could imagine, as since I had been called a liar, even the messenger of Allah had failed to accept my report. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Surah Al-Munafiq. The next day the Prophet sallallahu alayhi called him and he twisted his ears and he smiled at him and said, Oh young lad, your ears heard the truth, your ears heard the truth, your ears heard correctly. Allah has revealed the Qur'an in order to attest to your truth. Zayd ibn Arqam says, when the Prophet wasallam twisted my ear and he smiled at me in my face, he says, for that, I wouldn't exchange eternal life in the world. That meant so much to me that I wouldn't exchange eternal life in the dunya for that one moment of the Prophet wasallam twisting my ear and smiling in my face. Then, Word spread that Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul had been rejected. And that what he said was true. He then came and made apologies. His son, whose name was Abdullah also. Abdullah, the son of Abdullah, the son of Ubay. Salul was actually the name of Abdullah's mother. Salul was not a, it's not a masculine name. So it's not Abdullah, the son of Ubay, the son of Ubay's father, Salul, as is normally the case. Here, Abdullah was a son of Ubay, Ubay is his father's name. When we say the son of Salul, Salul is not the father or the parent of Ubay, Salul is the feminine name. And it's the name of Abdullah's mother. So in one name, we've got his father and his mother, which is quite rare. We don't actually have that in Arabic. We normally have name of the son, of the son, of the son, going back generations. So Abdullah, the son of Ubay, the son of Salul. Ubay was his father and Salul was his mother. So Salul is actually a mother's name, his mother's name. So Abdullah, his own son was called Abdullah also. He was a sincere believer. He came to the Prophet وسلم, and actually sought permission. Sayyidina Umar عنه, as is normal, when he heard what Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Sa'ul said, even on the report of Zayd ibn Arqam, he used his favorite phrase, Da'ni ya Rasulullah, <laughs> adrib unqa hadha al-munafiq. The old messenger of Allah. The phrase has become so familiar, mashallah, I don't even have to translate it. So... Leave me, O Messenger of Allah, that I may strike off the head of this hypocrite. The Prophet said, No, I do not wish people to say that Muhammad killed his own companions. Leave him, leave him be. His son Abdullah came to the Prophet and said, O Messenger of Allah, grant me permission. He offered to kill his own father, his son Abdullah. He was a sincere Muslim. Prophet wasallam refused. Later on this journey, what happened is that when the Muslims returned to Medina, the son Abdullah, he, sat, he stood at the entrance of Medina with sword drawn. And he allowed everybody to pass. But when his father came, he forced his father to dismount. And branching the sword before his own father... He said, I will not let you enter the city until the messenger of Allah grants you permission and until you retract your words and until you say that you are the lowly one and that the messenger of Allah is the honored one. When the Prophet wasallam came and he saw the spectacle, he said, oh Abdullah, what are you doing? And Abdullah the father complained of his son to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Prophet sallallahu said to the son, "Leave your father, leave him be." But he, uh, the son, actually got his father to say that I am the lowly one, and the Messenger of Allah is the honoured one. These are the verses of Suratul Munafiqun: "Hun La ala man inda Hatta yanfaddu. Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu says that in Jumuah the Prophet sallallahu would recite Surat al-Jumuah in the first rak'ah and Surat al-Munafiqun in the second rak'ah and he actually says he would recite Surat al-Jumuah in the first rak'ah yuhridu bihil mu'minin encouraging and inspiring the believers thereby and in the second rak'ah he would recite Surat al-Munafiqun striking the hot striking and annoying the hypocrites so in the second raka'ah, he would regularly recite Surah al But the verses of Suratul al are these two verses, referring to this: "Hunul Ladinayyqooloon La Tunfiquu 'Ala Min 'Inda Rasoolillahi Hatta Ynfadu, Wallillahi Khaza'in al Samawat wal Ard, Wallakinnal Munafquin La Yafquoon. Yqooloon Lai Raja'na ila al Madinat Al Yuxrjannal A'zmin al A'dal, Wallillahi al 'Azza wal Rasoolihi wal al Mu'mineen, Wallakinnal Munafquin La Yadamoon." Allah says, "These are." are the ones, they are the ones who say, do not spend on those who are with the messenger of Allah until they disperse when to Allah belong the treasures of the heavens and the earth. But the hypocrites do not understand. They say that when we return to Medina the honoured one Will remove and banish the lowly and the disgraced and humiliated one from the city. And he meant himself and the lowly one, the messenger of Allah. But again, Allah ends the verse by saying, ولي ولي To Allah belongs honor and to his messenger and to the believers, but the hypocrites do not know. This was just some of the history of Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, He did a lot. And this whole incident took place on the same journey, in the campaign of Banu Mustaliq, in the campaign of Muraysiyya. And this all happened just before he was the one who was instrumental in inciting this allegation, in instigating this rumor and this allegation against Umm Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha. So that's just some history of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. He was a bitter personal enemy of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa and of the believers. He left no stone unturned in his attempt to sow discord, create strife and suffering and confusion and anguish for the Messenger of Allah on a very personal level and even the Muslims at large. After this, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aish, although she doesn't refer to this incident, but this was another major incident that took place on that same journey. What the Prophet did, very intelligently and wisely, when he when this happened, the Prophet wasallam, contrary to custom, He suddenly made an announcement and told everybody, pack up, break camp and let's march. So everybody broke camp and they marched. He marched that whole day, the rest of the day. Normally they would rest by evening. He never let them rest. They carried on, travelled the whole night until the next morning. Finally when they stopped and set up camp, Everybody fell asleep. And then the reason the Prophet ﷺ did this, the Sahaba themselves explained, so that people would not have an opportunity, people would become preoccupied with their journey, and they would not become they would not have an opportunity to sit around gossiping and perpetuating these rumours. Not about Aisha radiyallahu anha. That happened later, but about what happened between the Ansar and the Muhajir, and Ansari and the Muhajir, and that they, they would not let the words of Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Saru take effect. So to diffuse the situation, the Prophet sallallahu very wisely just made everybody travel and never gave them an opportunity to discuss and to fall into gossip amongst themselves. He diffused the situation rather than inflame that was the wisdom of rasulullah sallallahu he prevented any further any further discord or strife when they continued to travel on one of the final stops before medina closer to medina the third major incident <coughs> of this journey took place and that is what al mu'minin aisha radhiyallahu anha now refers to she says فسرنا حَتَّى إِذَا فَرْغَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عليه وسلم من تلك. So we marched until Allah's Messenger became free of this campaign. وَقَفَلْ And he returned. to to Medina. المدينة, and until when we came close to Medina, آذن لَيْلَةٌ برحيم. One night, again suddenly, the Prophet made an announcement to travel. Again, this was another one contrary to custom. So since they were all unprepared, the Prophet made a sudden announcement that announced, we should resume our journey. They began preparing. So when Aisha radiallahu anha heard this announcement, she says, فَقُمْتْ I rose. hina آذُنُ When they made this announcement, from الشَّيْتُ حَتَّى why did she rise? She say she wanted to answer the call of nature and prepare herself to resume the long journey. So she says, I rose when they made this announcement from a shade. And I continued to walk until I went beyond the settlement of, and the camp of the army. She went to answer the call of nature. So in her search for privacy, she went some distance. Until she left the camp behind her. So when I fulfilled my need, I made my way or I headed to the tent. So I touched my bosom. I placed my hand on my bosom. So suddenly I realized. That my necklace of onyx stone had broken. Dhafar was the name of a place in Yemen, in southern Arabia. Dhafar. And from there was produced a gemstone. Not very expensive, but it was a gemstone which they used in rings and in necklaces. And that gemstone was Jezr. It was known as a gemstone of... It's actually an onyx. We know it as onyx. So, there was a necklace with the main gemstone of onyx. And it came from a place called the Far. That's why it's known as the Fari. So, she says that my necklace of onyx from the far, it Like today... This is a common feature in the hadith Things are named after certain places So even today you have wool That's famous from a certain region You have diamonds That are famous from a certain region You have jewellery Which is renowned from a certain region You have items of clothing Because of their design and their colour That are renowned from a certain region So In those days as well They would have Yemeni cloth Egyptian cloth uh, this cloth, this bundle, this clothing, this suit. And we find it in the hadith the suits, the clothes, the bundles, the embroidery, etc. were all named after their places of origin because of the prestige. So she says, I had this necklace of onyx from the far. And that was the same necklace that was given to her by her mother when she came into the marriage of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa When the marriage was consummated. So she, she wore that and she says it had broken. فَرَجَعْتُ So I returned. the عِقْدِي And I searched for my necklace. فَحَبَسَنِ ابْتِغَاءُ So my search for the necklace kept me behind. فَأَقْبَلَ الَّذِينَ يُرَحِّلُونَ li. So those who would normally lift me, they came and they arrived. So they lifted up my holder In English we call it "holder" as well. Hoda comes from Urdu. In Urdu we call it Hoda. And the word so the English word "holder" comes from the Urdu word hodh and the Urdu word hoda comes from Arabic Hodaj. And it's a seat, as I explained last week, it's a seat, uh, normally on a tr- some sort of bedding, which has a canopy over it with drapes. And it was mainly used in the Middle East and in the East. It's placed on elephants, camels, etc., and mainly for uh, ladies. So in English, it's also called litter, but you actually have the proper name, it's a proper word in English, holder which comes from the original Arabic of Houdaj. So فَحْتَمَلُوا هَوْدَجِ They lifted up my Houda, my litter. فَرَحْلُوهُ عَلَى بِعِيرِ أَلَّذِي كُنْتُ arkabu." So they lifted up the litter, the Houda, the Houda, onto my camel, which I would ride. وَهُمْ يَحْتَصِبُونَ أَنِّي فِي And they were thinking that I was actually in it. Because there was a whole group of them. And since it was covered with drapes, normally the way, it w- the way it would happen is, that's why she mentioned at the beginning, بعد the انزل hijab after the laws of hijab had been revealed. That was a crucial sentence at the beginning. That explains why all of this happened. So since the laws of hijab had been revealed, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha says, she came out and travelled in hijab. And that meant that the way she would travel is she would enter her holder, her litter, which had a canopy and curtains and drapes. And then a number of her attendants appointed by Rasulullah would come and they would lift up the holder from the poles and they would lift it up onto the camel. When the journey would stop, when the camel would stop, again she would remain seated the attendants would come, they would collectively lift the holder and carefully place it on the ground. Then they would leave and she would emerge. And this was because the laws of hijab had been revealed and after all, she was the one of the wives of the Prophet So she says that they did the same. yhtasibuna whilst thinking that I was actually in the holder, whereas in reality she was away from the camp, having gone back to search for her lost necklace. أركب, so they placed the lifted up the holder onto the camel that I would ride. في, whilst they were thinking that I was in it. خفافة, and women were then light. They had not become heavy, and flesh had not overcome them. In fact, they would eat only a little, sufficient amount of food. She says this in order to explain that how come the attendants didn't realize she was in? Well, these these were the reasons. One, they would never see her anyway. Two, there wasn't just one or two of them, there would be a minimum of four and possibly more, one on each corner holding a pole, and the weight would be distributed. Furthermore, she herself was very light, and she says ladies were then light. And the people, meaning the group, and the group did not find the weight of the holder strange when they lifted it up so they lifted it hadith the sin and I was a young girl I was a girl young of age again describing her likeness Jamada, they then raised the camel I they were, the camel would be seated kneeling. And once the houdah would be on top, they would then prod the camel and raise it. baathul jimal, So they, then they raised the camel. Wasaru And they marched. الجيش Then I found my necklace. After the army had left, فَجَدُّ manzilla, So I came to their encampment. وَلَيْسَ فِيهِ أَحَدُ And there was no one there. فأممت منزل الذي كنت I then headed for that place where I was. أنهم سيفقدونني. And I thought, and I thought that soon they will miss me. فيرجعون إلي. Then they will return to me. فبينا So whilst I was seated, she basically just sat down in the middle of the desert at night, all alone. She was young. And of course she was fearful. And she sat down hoping that they would return. فَبَيْنَا أَنَجَالِسَهُ So whilst I was seated, غَلَبَتْنِي عَيْنَاي فَنِمْتْ My eyes overcame me, so I slept. وَكَانَ صَفْوَانُ بْنُمْعَطَلُ السُّلَمِي ثُمَّ الدَّكْوَانِ مِنْ وَرَاءِ الْجَيْشِ and Safwan, now she's explaining something further, that I fell asleep. Now Safwan ibn Mu'attal, al sulami the Kwan, these were the tribal and the clan affiliations. Safwan ibn Mu'attal, he was at the rear of the army. Meaning he was appointed by the Prophet ﷺ as the rear guard of the army. In those days, the duties of the caravan and the people who travelled together would be divided. And one of the functions assigned to some people was of travelling at a distance from the rear of uh, of the caravan. And what they would do is that they would follow at a certain distance in order to pick up and retrieve lost items, dropped items, items that had been left behind, and also to watch out for any stragglers. So on that expedition, Safwan ibn Mu'attil had been appointed to that task. Who was Safwan ibn Mu'attil? He was a young companion. He was from Medina, he was an Ansari, not one of the emigrants, because he had actually embraced Islam just a short time before this particular incident, not too long. And he was a pious companion, one of the Sahaba, عنهم, and Umm al-Mu'mineen anha. later said of him, that he died as a martyr in the way of Allah. In fact, the Prophet sallallahu attested to his piety on the minbar. And he actually said that they have accused someone, (laughs) i.e. Sufwan ibn Mu'addal, of whom I know nothing but good. And later, in the approximately 19th year of Hijrah, when the Muslims were fighting in Armenia, during the conquest of Armenia, Safwan ibn al died as a shaheed in the conquest of Armenia. So she says Safwan ibn al had been appointed as the rear guard of the army. فَأَصْبَحَ عِنْدَ منزلي. So he rose in the morning, now night had fallen, she fell asleep. In the morning he arrived. It was morning now. So he arrived in the morning by my place. So he saw the figure of a human, of a person. He saw the figure of a person asleep. So he came to me. And he would see me before hijab. So before the laws of hijab were revealed, there was no hijab, so people saw each other. So he had obviously seen Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha. So when he saw a figure asleep on the floor, on the ground, he approached, not realizing who it was. She had obviously drawn her blankets over herself. So when he arrived, he saw a figure on the ground. When he she awoke, and he had seen her before hijab, فَاسْتَيْقَضْتُ بِاسْتِرْجَاعِهِ Now what happened? She was still asleep. And in her sleep, undoubtedly her face was exposed. In her sleep. So when he arrived and he saw her, immediately upon seeing her, he loudly exclaimed, إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهَ رَاجِعُونَ so when he exclaimed, "Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi she was alerted and startled, and she woke up. So she says, فَاسْتَيْقَطْتُ bi I awoke with his istirja', meaning his "Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un." Hina When he made his camel sit down, now he didn't approach her walking; he was still on the camel, and he saw a figure asleep on the ground. So he approached slowly on his camel. From above the camel, he saw the figure of Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu anha, and he saw her exposed face. He then began to alight and dismount and loudly exclaimed, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi She woke up. That's why she says, He was uttering, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi when he was dismounting and making his camel kneel and sit down. When he was settling his camel. All he did was made the camel kneel and then he placed his foot on the leg of the camel to ensure that it would remain stable. And that was a sign in itself. And he held the reins. What did she do? He placed his foot on the leg of the camel and I mounted the camel. In another narration, it's not mentioned here, she says... By Allah, apart from His saying, "Inna wa inna ilayhi I did not utter a word, and He did not utter a single word further. He did not say anything; I did not say anything. The only words that were exchanged between them were His, "Inna wa inna ilayhi raji'un." Then he continued, bil Driving or leading the camel with me on it. So he never sat on it. He was now walking. Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha was riding the camel. Hatta atain al-Jaish. Until we arrived at the army camp. Baadama nazalu معرسين fi nahri al After they had camped and set up camp, mu'arrisina fi nahri al-dahira. In the heat of the day, meaning mid-afternoon, midday, at the height of the heat of the day, when they had camped and settled down, we arrived in the camp. That's all she says. Then she adds, "فَهَلَكَ مَنْ so those who perished perished. وَكَانَ الَّذِي تَوَلَّ الْإِفْكَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ بْنُ and the one who assumed. The greatest role in the lie was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Saloo. Now obviously because this was very painful for her, that the next words are فَقَدِمْنَا al then we arrived in Medina. Remember this was this was the final stop when they arrived. So that was the second last stop, and this one was the final stop before their arrival in Medina. This whole episode was extremely painful for her. And that's why she doesn't spell it out. All she says is that, look, this is what happened. The, one night the Prophet wasallam suddenly announced, unexpected, that we are to break camp and resume our journey in the middle of the night. So everyone began hastily making preparations. I also, in order to make preparations, I rose And decided to relieve myself. So I travelled a distance to answer the call of nature. Until I left the camp behind me. When I had finished and I returned. As I was returning I placed my hands on my bosom. My hand on my bosom. And I realised that my necklace had broken. And therefore fallen. And it was the necklace of onyx. The one that her mother had given to her at the time of the consummation of her marriage. So she retraced her steps in order to look for the necklace. Remember, she was young. While she was Fahabisan ibn Dira'og, she says that the search for the necklace kept me behind. And in that haste, the camp the people of the camp broke camp, resumed their journey. And those who were appointed to carry my litter and raise it onto the camel, they didn't realise that I wasn't in. They thought I was in. They lifted me up, and they lifted up the holder and put it on the camel and they left. By the time I returned, the camp was empty. There was no one there. So I stayed in my place where I was before and I hoped that they would soon realise that I was missing and come back to collect me. I fell asleep. The next thing she knew was someone loudly exclaiming, إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ She opened her eyes, and what had happened is Safwan ibn Mu'attal, who was appointed as a rear guard, he saw a figure lying on the ground. He came close on his camel when he saw that it was Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu anha, how did he recognize her? She was asleep, the blanket had come away, her cloak had come away, she didn't realize, he saw her face, he recognized her, since he had seen her and like others had before hijab. All of this shows that وَكَانَ يَرَانِي قَبْلِ hijab that he would see me before the hijab. So that it's it's evident what the hijab meant. He would see me before the hijab, i.e. my face. But after the hijab, at least for the wives of the Prophet, the Sahaba anhum would not see her, see them. So since he would see her before the hijab, he recognised her exclaimed, and then he immediately dismounted, settled the camel, and all that happened is she awoke. He settled the camel, placed his foot on the camel's forelegs, made sure that the camel did not move, settled it. Umm muminin Aisha mounted the camel. And he carried on. He raised a camel. He carried on walking while she was riding the camel. They travelled until they arrived at the camp mid-afternoon, when everyone had settled. That's all that happened. Then she says, because it was very painful for her, she doesn't go into detail. For Hulukum and Huluk, all she says is, then those who perished perished. And what she refers to that, it, what she refers to by that is that when they arrived at the camp, people—not all of them, since some people were asleep, others were busy—some of them saw Safiyya ibn muattal walking, leading the camel by its reins, and on the camel, because Ahoudah was missing, they saw Aisha radiallahu anha, When Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Saloo heard of this, that, oh, Safar ibn Muaddal has just brought Aisha into the camp, now, immediately, he exclaimed, by Allah, he has done this and this with her. And he went on to say that they have spent the night together in sin. So then his cronies repeated this calumny and this allegation, and word spread in the camp. At the time, she didn't realize, obviously, she's speaking in retrospect, she didn't realize that's what she means by fahulakam and halak, that those who Instigated the rumor, those who carried the rumor, those who repeated the rumor, all of them perished. For and And then she says <coughs> that the one who al abdullah ibn ubay ibn that the one who assumed the greatest role in this lie and calumny was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Then she says, فَقَدِمْنَا الْمَدِينَةِ Since he was the one who instigated it. And she says, we then arrived in Medina. I'll end here. The next stage of the hadith will be of what happened when they actually arrived in the city of Medina. How the rumor took hold. How it spread. How people responded to it. How it affected the Prophet ﷺ. His peace of mind. His heart and mind. The peace of his household. The serenity of Medina. All it takes is for one person to utter one word, carelessly, or maliciously. And it can be far more damaging than rocks, sticks and stones and even swords. And that's exactly what happened. And how eventually Allah revealed the verses of the Qur'an. What lessons there are for us. Inshallah, the hadith will still continue. There's quite a bit of the hadith left. I believe so far we've only done approximately a quarter. and um, So, inshallah, we'll continue next week regarding what happened when they arrived in Medina. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com We can also be contacted by phone on 004121. 44 121 double seven one three triple seven or by email via sales at akstore dot com produced under license by Alcotha Productions all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.